0: Welcome to another episode of the Equip Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, here today with Senior Pastor Damian Sheeter. How are we doing, Damian?
1: Hey, Nate. It's great to be with you. It's good morning. Yeah, it's a great morning.
0: Uh, we are here to talk about something that I remember you mentioning years ago. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first conversations, I think, when we were getting to know each other when we first came to New City. You, you gave me this vision for New City being like a teaching hospital, which yeah. was a... I intuitively knew what you meant by that. It's like, oh, you go to med school and then you learn how to be a doctor. It's like, kind of made sense. It was like, I haven't really seen that at a church before. What yeah. would that involve? And I think you, I remember you telling me it was, involves a pastoral residency program. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we were moving in that direction and COVID probably derailed some things, but now we've come full circle
1: and are actually starting this residency program. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, I, ha- I have been talking about this for quite some time. For those who don't know, I came to New City as an assistant pastor in 2014, January, really February 1st, technically, um, 2014. And in 2017, we, our founding pastor in 2016, uh, had made a transition to somewhere else. And in 2017, we searched for most of the year for our next senior pastor, the pulpit committee did. And as we know, uh, they ended up, calling me as the senior pastor. But in that interview process, they interviewed me. Um, One of the things they asked me was, in the next five years, what are a couple of big vision realities you want to see happen? And the first thing I said to them was, I wanted New City within five years to be a teaching hospital. And I described the pastoral residency and gave them the what and the why, which we'll chat about in a few minutes. But when I think back now, even with COVID disrupting it, it's going to happen. It, it yeah, is happening saying, right within five years, yeah, that window. January would be five years. Yeah, right? January would be five years. And so you're right to say that while the, the, the analog of residency or medical residency and medical training carries a lot of water, or the, the idea of a teaching hospital carries a lot of water, and all I mean by that is, you, like you said, you kind of intuited what that meant, um, which, which is really helpful, but there, there's a lot of ways in which... It, it continues to make more sense to people as you describe the details of what it is and why we would do it.
0: Yeah. So let's, just so we're clear, I think we can do this in maybe two minutes or less. Of If you're not exactly clear on what a teaching hospital or residency is, I'll, I'll give my version, you correct it. Sure. The idea would be you go to med school, which is an additional four years after a bachelor's degree. But then at the end of that, you don't just become a doctor and they throw you into general practice or hospital or emergency room or something like that, you're doing all this theoretical learning about the human body for those years. But in years three and four, and then even a little bit after you start shadowing more Mm -hmm. experienced doctors, you're on the floor at a hospital, or an emergency room, or maybe you probably make more rounds. I think you know a little bit more about this than I do. But that's, that's the general
1: idea, right? Yeah, that's the general idea. And um, most, most people would know, of course, that Doctors go to school for a long time and medical school is four years and so on. And it is primarily there where you would learn your basic sciences, um, but how they apply, how the sciences apply to the art of being a physician and caring for actual people. How do you apply those sciences to people? But it is primarily, especially in the first two years, traditionally a classroom based reality. Now you're right. You do rotations in year three and four, but it's still heavy didactically, lots of teaching. Mm. Um, and the responsibility you have as a medical student, uh, isn't, isn't large. Um, but then you do graduate and technically they confer a degree on you. So I would call you Dr. Claiborne, right. If you graduate from medical school. Uh, but you then would immediately go into a residency training program. And the length of that would be dictated by your specialty. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned this to you that when I've talked to friends who are physicians, um, they would agree more or less with this statement, which is that medical school doesn't train you to be a doctor. It doesn't prepare you to be a doctor, as you said, just to get thrown into, into the, wolves, well, to the wolves, right? Um, medical school prepares you for residency, and then residency is where you learn how to be a doctor, and that's that. Not to poo-poo on medical school, it just shows you that that training to care for people, to take a science and and apply it in an artful, skillful way, takes multiple modes of training, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think there's power in the analogy of a teaching hospital and medical school and pastoral training, although. We've tended to think, well, I want to be a pastor. I'll go to seminary, and that will teach me. Yeah. However, as you and I both know, having gone to seminary, seminary is crucial. That that experience is necessary to learn Greek and Hebrew and theological method and other types of things. I can't imagine trying to learn those while I'm in full-time pastoral ministry. That would that would be really challenging. It wouldn't be the place probably to learn them. But nevertheless, uh, what we end up doing is we we've lacked that la- that second part. That medicine has. Discovered of residency, and we're we're making the mistake that that we would we're horrified at thinking that a medical student without ever doing a residency could just like go practice medicine somewhere, yeah, without further training as a resident working and apprenticing with other doctors. But that's what we do with pastors.
0: Yeah, well, and we would even we would probably even want it to be a both and. Like you wouldn't want a situation where someone is just self taught. They've read a lot. They've studied. And then they show up to a residency program. Like, I'm ready to... Yes. Yeah, I know about the human body. I've, I've done all this all this pre-work and, yes. and you know I've studied it. I um, think that's right. You wouldn't want them to just, all right, yeah, we'll throw you on the floor. And after a few years of shadowing a real doctor, you can start practicing medicine. It's like, yes. no, you, you need that theoretical background. But at the same time, that theoretical background isn't quite enough to make the jump. And that's I, right. Maybe... Maybe historically, we've understood that with pastoral ministry, but in more recent times, it's been, well, I went to seminary, so now I'm trained and I'm good to go. I'd get a job at a church and go from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's not fair. So I would agree with you completely. Uh, So it's not an either or, it's a both and, and they both have great value. And I think that um, it's not fair to expect the four years of a med school to to give a person everything they need to practice medicine. Mm. Uh, And it's not fair for the seminary to say, we're giving you three or four years to give this person everything they need to practice pastoral ministry. Yeah.
0: Well, if you even think about the curriculum, like we we both went to seminary, and if you look at the classes we took, which, you know, different seminaries, different curriculum, but for the most part, it's primarily preparing you to preach and teach, Mm -hmm. which is a significant part of pastoral ministry. But as you know, that's not what you spend the majority, at this point, probably the majority of your time doing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So this is kind of aimed at filling in that gap, and mm-hmm. we're uh, bringing on a new resident. We'll yes. hear more from him in the next episode. Yep. Uh, but as we talk about the program, what, what are some things people can expect? Is it a... How long is it? What's sort of the... Is this person a pastor at our church now? Or is this person... What, are they shadowing you? Are they shadowing Ben? Like, what's... Yes. What's kind of the lay of the land for this
1: program? Yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes people use the words intern and apprentice interchangeably. In this case, we are not using them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Any pastoral intern we have at New City will be a current seminary student. So they haven't graduated yet. Yeah. Similar to a current medical student is not a resident, right? Uh, So in this case, residents will all have graduated from seminary. Okay. And the residency will be three years long. Um, The expectation is that they will come and be trained and be formed at New City and then sent out into other PCA churches. So that's the expectation for us. They know that, and we want the congregation to know that. Why three years? Well, in the analogy, the basic um, medicine uh, practices, uh, so family medicine, internal medicine, emergency medicine, and pediatrics, uh, people can subspecialize in those fields after that. But those residencies are three years long. So there's something about three years that is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years isn't quite enough. Maybe we don't need four years. In our case, three years also makes sense because we want to give the resident a uh, long enough time to get to know people and shepherd and pastor real people that they know, but candidly, not keep them here so long that it will be hard for them and for us to let them go. Yeah. And so the whole last year, or at least the back half of that third year is really them looking to launch. And so that's that's in terms of some of the specifics. One of the things that I want to mention is is that I'm comforted by the fact that there is an organization that is connected to churches who have been doing this thing for over 20 years. Okay. It's called Made to Flourish, and we've partnered with them. So what that means is that they're helping us along the way. So while uh, Ryan, who we'll, who we'll mention as our first resident, uh, is a guinea pig, and he knows it in that sense, he also knows that I have access to a whole network of people who've been doing this for quite some time. One other cool thing is that they believe in residencies so much and they want to catalyze pastoral residencies in churches in North America that they give grants. And so we received a five-year pretty large grant uh, in order to catalyze and start this this residency, which is exciting.
0: That is exciting. Yeah. So it's good to know that it's in some ways, this idea is, it may be new to people hearing it just now, but it's not something we just came up with and we're the first people trying it out. Like, well, let's see if this works.
1: Yes, that's right. I, I don't know if this is true, but maybe it would be like New City, we're, we're early adopters in this idea to, cons- to to consider it the way that we have, but certainly lots of churches are doing something similar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it, and there's even other churches in our area, right? That we've we've kind of linked up with. Yeah, it, and they also have it.
1: partnered with Made to Flourish as well.
0: Okay, so we're we're kind of all on this together. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, uh, Ryan's going to be around for a few more years? Uh, he's going to be shadowing you. He's going to be shadowing Ben. He's going to be
1: he's going to be preaching. Yeah. He's going to be. That's really good. So when you think about a resident, a resident is a real doctor. So you would call them Dr. So-and-so if you went to the emergency room right now and there was a resident there. They're real doctors with real patients, with real responsibility, doing real work. However, if they've been a resident for a month, they, do, they have less responsibility and they're doing less work. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, and then over time, they expand their scope and responsibility of work. And so, Ryan and any resident we have will be pursuing ordination as an okay. assistant pastor in the PCA. This is going to be my next question: Is, like, yeah. is
0: he already ordained? Is he pursuing ordination? Yeah, so that, deter- he's not. that determines what he
1: can and can't do. In exactly, a lot of ways. exactly. So uh, in the PCA. Uh, you have to be ordained as a teaching elder in order to administer the sacraments, for example. Uh, so baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it seems really important that if that's a key role of a teaching elder in our denomination, that part of the residency me- would require him to do those things, mm-hmm. which means he needs to be ordained. So he'll be beginning the ordination process, uh, and our hope is that he will have completed that process within six to eight months from now. It's quite the process.
0: It is quite the process. I uh, it, Just even thinking with a minute ago, we were talking about three years, that's part of why three years might be good is a good chunk of the front end of it would be focusing on these ordination responsibilities, like certain hours, uh-huh. certain tasks, tests, and all that sort of thing. That's going to take up significant amount of bandwidth, but would be necessary. They, uh, we wouldn't want to have a residency program where you stay here for three years and you are going to go to another PCA church, but you're not ordained yet. Yeah. And you, you know,
1: we, you got to have the full package: that's degree, right. ordination, experience, apprenticeship. Exactly it'd be a huge miss to do that, so um, the other thing is that uh, ordination is is key for for pastors uh in that um, the laying on of hands the the recognition the examination in all of life and theologically is crucial, and I would say it's that process is integral to pastoral formation, the process of of going through ordination It, it was for me for sure
0: okay so we're gonna we're gonna guide Ryan through that he's going to be. Uh, he's preaching in a couple weeks, so people will get to know him a little bit through that. And then he's obviously he's going to be around um, from here on out. But is there anything else we want people to know here on the front end about what this residency program is like? Are we going to a question that even pops into my mind? Are we going to take on another resident or is it going to be a one at a time? Yeah. Reality like we'll have him for three years. And then by the time he's phasing out, someone else will come in
1: or is yes. it going to be overlap? Our plan is that there will be overlap and that we would have two at a time. Okay. So it would mean that sometime next year we would bring on our second resident. I think this gets to a question that you did ask a minute ago that I didn't speak to, which is what are all of the aspects of, of training that a resident would, would need? So maybe people understand. I said that they'll be preaching, they'll be leading liturgy, they'll be meeting with people, they'll be shepherding. In time, they'll be doing everything Ben and I do, similar to a resident does everything the other doctors do, uh, the attending physicians. The, the question would be scope and when and and so on. So, But what are some training pieces? So one of them is and this is crucial, I wanna start here instead of end here, is that Ryan's interaction with our congregation will be one of the most fundamental ways in which he's shaped in this program, this residency program. Uh, he needs the influence of other, of, of congregants. And so in other words, it's not just Ben and I, mm. uh, it's, it's the congregation. Uh, Ryan's uh, opportunity to be with you all and to, be, to learn from you all is crucial in his process. Um, and I, I don't, I can't speak to that enough. So I, I'll stop there. But please hear me say that that's crucial. Uh, which is why we're already now beginning to set up meetings for him with other people for him to get to know the congregation and learn from them. Uh, the other thing is, um, when we think about a residency, the key reality is apprenticeship That's a word that we've used. So we're, we're apprentices yeah. of Jesus, but there's a, there's a, a master or leader-apprentice model. And so here – you know, I heard an illustration on this, again, with the analogy of a teaching hospital. Um, there, was a, there was an event where a bunch of theologians and seminary leaders – Uh, came together with some pastors to talk about theological education, and particularly theological education to prepare pastors to disciple people in faith and work and economic realities, stuff like that. Well, they invited some lay people as well, lay leaders from their churches. And there was a a guy there who had listened for a day and a half to all this pontification. And uh, at the end, he stood up, he raised his hand and stood up, And he said, hey, this has really been helpful, but let me share with you from my world that he was a retired surgeon and had spent his whole life at a hospital where a big part of his role was, of course, surgery, but also training surgeries. There was a large residency program there. And what he said was he he shared this amazing picture. And he said, uh, one of the most important places in training surgeons was actually the scrub sink. Now, again, we all have a picture of a scrub sink because of television shows and all of that. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is that surgeons go and it's, it's a relatively rigorous process of scrubbing in before they go into surgery, you know, washing their hands at, at a sink. And, you know, even in dramas, right, you see surgeons talking together. Well, that really does happen in the sense that uh, the, the attending physician would be talking to the resident and talking them through what they were about to do asking them questions like, Hey, what surgery is this? Okay. What are the things that we need to be aware of? What could go wrong? Uh, what are, if, if that thing goes wrong, then what are the other things that we do? Right. So it's, it's catechesis in a sense, it's training, Mm -hmm. it's kind of testing. It's also preparation, right? So then they, they scrub in together, they go perform the surgery, but then he said on the back end, there's a scrubbing out process and that might be equally or more important than the scrubbing in. And that is a recap of what happened. So a, an affirmation or, hey, next time, what would you do differently? Or, hey, that was really great what you did. If that happens again, that works most of the time. You know, whatever it is, very practical affirmation, challenges, uh, reflection. And I love that picture of the scrub sink. And that's really what day-to-day pastoral training is like. Uh, ben and I still experience this more in a peer way, but but we're sort of scrubbing in and out together in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And so really a lot of it is for us to invite in this case, Ryan or the resident along uh, and scrubbing in, uh, scrubbing out, reflecting together and having that apprentice reality. In other words, there are things that Ryan will learn by just being with us and doing things with us and watching us that he, he couldn't learn from us just telling him something and even if he did he would learn it in a deeper way as he experienced it. So, a big part of the training is Ryan doing real work but also doing it with us. Yeah.
0: Which is again that's that's really is the dividing line between this just being an internship where you're just sort of assigned stuff to do mm-hmm. and you do it or even just a first job at a church straight out of seminary. So, like yes. he would be doing a lot of the same things if he had gotten hired at some other PCA church. But in this case, he's actually have, he has someone that he's apprenticing to that's guiding him through the process. That's giving him real time feedback. It's not just sort of a, well, I guess I'll figure this out if I do it enough times and I have to do all the self-reflection work on my own. It's someone's there for the process for several years, which is a long enough time to actually really form and develop rather than six months or, even 18 months at that point is maybe not quite enough.
1: Yes. Yes. And I think even in that, you raise a question, which is, hey, if, if this is basically how it's worked for decades, then why, why would we, why would we change it now? In other words, if the way it actually has worked is people graduate from seminary, they get thrown into a ministry Mm -hmm. and they just figure it out along the way, what what was wrong with that? Well, I, I would say two things. One is, uh, it's probably not great for the people they're ministering to. Right. Um, it's certainly not ideal, uh, but, but it's also not great for them. Yeah. It's not great for the, the pastor. In fact, um, there was a, a study a number of years ago funded by uh, the Eli Lilly Foundation, and they did a number of studies on pastoral health, pastoral resilience, and, and so on. And the exact stat is, is, is kind of unclear, but what is clear is that a majority, that is 50% or more. Of master of divinity graduates from ATS accredited schools, so that just means seminaries like you went to, I went to RTS would be that. Um, The ATS is the accrediting body of; uh, it's sort of the accrediting body. So those were the schools that they they pulled this data from.
0: Any seminary you've heard of, any seminary you heard of is an
1: ATS seminary, and uh, including even Roman Catholic seminaries are ATS accredited. So it's not just Protestant seminaries. But if you've heard of seminary, it's almost certainly um, ATS accredited. So with that being said, they pulled data from that, and what they found out was that after five years or within five years of vocational pastoral ministry of MDiv graduates, a majority of them, over half of them, left vocational ministry uh, and not to return.
0: Yeah, which is wild, because you you think about if you get a master's degree, like not doing something related to your bachelor's degree is probably not that big of a deal anymore. But if you're going to get a second degree specializing in something and then not
1: use that for whatever you're doing vocationally. It's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. And you can think about that uh, in another way that... the, it's important in this case that it was the MDiv because the Master of Divinity is a professional degree training for pastoral ministry. It wasn't simply people who got an MA because yeah. they were interested in studying theology or it was a, in ethics because they were a physician or they were an attorney or they whatever, they had interest.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so so that, the t- that actually strengthens your point is that it was Master of Divinity graduates, almost all people who do an MDiv yeah, I think so. Many, most, majority uh, do an MDiv because their plan is pastoral or vocational ministry. And um, so then that that's a very s- important detail when you're thinking of the set of people that they they learn this data from. I think the other thing that I would mention there is, um, uh, well, I think, uh, oh, yes. Can we imagine, to your point, can we imagine specialized like a uh, like physicians or dentists or uh, veterinarians, like what if a majority of people who graduated from medical school left medicine within five years? What if a majority of people who uh, went to veterinary school uh, stopped doing veterinary, practicing veterinary medicine within five years? What if a majority of architects when they, I know that's a bachelor's degree, but it's very specialized, graduate uh, and are not, and they're not in the practice of architecture or design within five years. I mean, a majority, we would say like, Something's off here. Yeah. You can say it's one thing to
0: transition careers 15, 20 years later. Um, It's another thing to say within five years, like you didn't really get started in any sort of career in a five year span and you're already redirecting in a different direction.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and who knows what COVID has done Mm. to, to those numbers? I don't know. Um, It's messed with a number of things, but, but as you can hear, uh, maybe people can tell uh, I there, I do get energized around this and uh, and there are a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is because New City, uh, our mission is to call, form, and send disciple makers. And that is all of us. And, of course, Ben and I are calling and forming and sending disciple makers. We're, we're discipling our people to call, form, and send other disciples. But part of that, of course, would be that we would call, form, and send disciple makers, those who will be future pastors. Yeah. And so this, this is an extension of our mission. It's not a tag-on. It's not a sticky note. It's not a sidecar. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is at the heart of it. And also, I wish I would have had this.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I do too. I there was a I felt when I maybe you felt this too when I graduated. I was like, I don't I don't think I should just go straight to work at a church. I don't think I've got the experience or the wisdom like I'm just going to go be part of a church somewhere and just sort of like get my sea legs as as they might say. Um and it's like I had a four-year degree. Why would I feel mm-hmm. like I'm not ready to just go jump into yes some kind of ministry role? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, in closing though, I, 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 this came to me we should have, we should have pre-gamed about this, but um, we both are fans of John Frame and he's got thoughts about seminary education. and I think it was in one of his books, maybe somewhere else that he talked about the way things used to work because I think we made it sound like, oh, it's just always been this way. People mm. got a degree in seminary and then they went and beca- became a pastor. But I think it's better to frame what we're doing here as a kind of retrieval. Because as I understand it, it used to actually work the other way. You would apprentice, if you were interested or felt a call, you would apprentice to a pastor Mm -hmm. for a short period of time. And then based on how that went, then you would go to seminary Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. would get the seminary education maybe while maintaining that connection as an apprentice, depending on where you lived. But it would be kind of like you started, you actually did some pastoral light work first to see if it was worth the effort to get the degree, whereas now we've come Far away from that where it's like, well, if I want to get the degree, I'm going to get the, the degree. But then you may
1: find out on the backside, I'm not really cut out for this. Yes, I think you're right. And I think what I would speak to is the the principles... In that, in the, in the inherent wisdom in that type of leadership pipeline, to use our language. Mm. In other words, um, there was a time when uh, the plan to pursue vocational ministry was a community endeavor. So you would be in a local church and you would, as you said, apprentice with a pastor, and he would affirm or confirm that internal desire. Uh, by noticing potential or noticing giftedness and character and and he wouldn't necessarily say you're ready to do it now he would say i 'm confirming that you should you should pursue a path and go get more training and then there would be training and then there would be uh, of course some type of uh, apprenticeship again on the backside in some way but you're right in that because of the professionalization of ministry and and in education in seminaries in North America, not all bad, by the way, I want to again say I'm a fan of that, but in this particular instance, I think it sets some people up to fail. That is, seminary can often be viewed as any other master's degree. Uh, in other words, if I want to learn more about this, I get to decide on my own if I'm going to go train to be a pastor. I, maybe it's never been confirmed by community. Maybe I've never practiced it or tried it. So it's, it's, not, so it's very um, self-focused as opposed to a community endeavor. And so you have less and less local churches sending people to seminary because they've confirmed and affirmed it. And you have people graduating from college who may have never been members at a church. Mm. And yet they're deciding, I should be a pastor on their own. And so that's its own dynamic.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this is going to be interesting as this program unfolds. And I, I would love to see us get to a place too, where we're both bringing in residents and call forms, sending them out as pastors, but also having people have that sense yes. of calling while they're in college at new city and then yes. send them to rts or exactly if we didn't send them to rts i don't know where we'd send them but yeah, it'd probably be rts right. yeah. it's in our backyard exactly um but i'm excited about this program seeing how it's going to unfold and we'll look forward to a couple days from now when we get to hear from ryan as you interview him
1: yeah thanks nate i'm excited